and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, we're really fortunate to have Leslie Bethel. She's an expert in retail store management with a specialization in beauty. What does that mean? She's all about the profit, profit generations and operations, the merchandising, the product turnover. Because if you realize if the product doesn't sell at retail, (laughs) the whole thing is for nothing. She is an expert in that field. And we're really going to learn a little bit more about that area of the beauty industry. And I'm really excited to welcome you, Leslie. First of all, may I say thank you for this opportunity. I was so excited when I got your email. I literally got the email late one evening. I was checking my email and I got, when I started to read it, I said, I'm going to wait until tomorrow because I had gone with my friends. I said, I'm going to wait until tomorrow. And I read it and I was just so excited. So thank you for that. And I think this is so much needed in the industry right now. So thank you for allowing me to become a part of this. Oh, yeah, really. Was beauty a destination or a detour for you? Beauty was definitely, since my mother carried me in her womb, a destination for me. (laughs) I absolutely love all things about beauty. I'm just immediately drawn to, you know, architecture, beauty, fashion, all of that stuff. I just love all of it. But beauty and products is just my passion in life. How did you go about getting your first job in beauty? Um, It was really interesting because I dropped out of college my sophomore year. Uh, My parents were going through a divorce. Money was really tight. And I've always been super ambitious, Corinne. So I like to take care of myself and I don't like to be a burden. And I'm the oldest of five with my parents. So it was really tight. And I was just anxious and hungry to work. I moved to D.C. from Virginia, and I got a job in the shoe department at Nordstrom in Montgomery Mall. And I was having lunch one day with one of my girlfriends who worked in beauty, and she said, you know, you always talk about beauty. You love it. We have a business manager position with Elizabeth Arden. And I applied for the job, and I literally got the job. Like, within two weeks, I was working. I was training in the corporate headquarters. And From the very first day I walked on the cosmetics department floor as an employee, as a business manager, I just felt like I was home. This was what I needed to do. It just fueled everything that I was so passionate about since my childhood because I grew up studying the greats. I studied Estee Lauder. I mean, the Holy Grail, Eunice Johnson, she is everything to me. Like I'm thinking about getting a tattoo with her picture her day face. I love everything that Eunice Johnson did for the beauty industry with Fashion Fair. And I would study, you know, Helena Rubinstein in Avon. I would thumb through Avon books like my aunts would have purchased Avon and I just studied all of that stuff, but I just love the products and the selling. And just like you said, the merchandising and the product, if we're not making profit, none of this is working. And these companies have to make a profit. And I like being a part of that. What does a business manager do? She's a multitasker. She has the ability to shift various currents at the drop of a dime, streamlining deficiencies, strategizing. You get the information from corporate. You get the information, say, for instance, with Elizabeth Arden, and then you get your directive from Nordstrom. And then you sit down and you crunch and you figure out how to make those sales goals, because at the end of the day, that's why they're hiring you. So you definitely have to be adroit with strategy and time management. 
motivating and hiring the right talent is key. Um, keeping the right talent motivated is so important. Managing your inventory. You know, how much inventory am I receiving? What are the sales goals? What is the company making from my business here in this department or in this brick and mortar business? You came into the industry having that kind of job. And so you had to pick up all of these things quickly. Yes. And I'm very fortunate because my father was a small business owner, um, a cleaning business. And I remember watching him balance the books at late at night. He was a very hard worker. And my mom is a social worker. So growing up and you have a father who's all about business and spoke to business constantly, it was very natural for me. But I did have great mentors at that time in the industry with Nordstrom and with Elizabeth Arden. So I had great account executives and great regionals, but that was 25 years ago. The industry has changed, but you've got to have the right bosses, the right superiors. And once you have that, it's really easy. And you have to be dedicated. So if I make a mistake, I'm the first one to own it. So you definitely have to hit the ground running, but you got to have the right people around you or it is a mess that I've seen it. Yes. What skill did you learn at your first job at the counter that set you up for success later? Streamlining deficiencies and being able to really analyze the business and to get in front of problems that could prevent you from getting that goal. So what I learned then was, perfect example, you administer your sales goals to your associates. And by the 15th, you want to sit down with each of your associates and see where they are with that sales goal. Because if you can't wait until the end of the month and say, why didn't you miss those goals? That was the most important thing I think I learned from day one with Elizabeth Arden is to really crunch and hone and understand where your key players are, where you have to step in. You're the business manager. You don't just sit back and crunch numbers. You roll up your sleeve, you scrub the floor, you do makeup, you do whatever you have to do to make that event a success or that business a success. So the very first thing that I think I learned was just basically monitoring the sales goals and just being on top of the business and your inventory levels. If you have a huge lipstick event coming up at the end of the month, you got to make sure that you got the product in stock. So you're constantly meeting with your stock guy and, you know, you're speaking to the buying office. The buying office becomes your best friend. So you're constantly on the horn with them. You know what? I have this event on the 25th. My product isn't here. That's what you have to be adroit with. So you can't really sleep. You got to love it. You know, Corinne, you have to absolutely love it. And I, that's what I do. So from there, how did you end up staying in retail operations with this specialty in beauty? And then explain the difference between working, because you've worked, you know, at, for a lot of amazing luxury brands, Laura Mercier, uh, Dior. Yes, Yves Saint Laurent. Yes. And we talked about before we started, and then you worked at J.J. Klinger as well. And La Mer, talking about luxury, among others. So you've been with some great brands. But then you also have been a manager of a freestanding store like Blue Mercury. So you can talk about the differences in performing that job at a counter versus a freestanding store. It's really operational. You have much more responsibility. If I'm a business manager at Saks and I get sick, then you have people to call to come to open up the counter or in the department to help you department manager. But if you're in a freestanding store... The store stays closed. So if you have a lot more responsibility with operations, dealing with expedited city regulations. When you're behind counter, the retailers and the vendors take care of that. But when you're in a freestanding store, that's all of your responsibility. So you learn how to be quick on your feet and, you know, again, head off the passes with the operational things. Say, for instance, the restroom breaks. Okay. And you have an event or you have a spa. 
you got to get on the horn and get someone in there like now. But when you're behind counter, you just call someone and they take care of it for you. So you have a lot more responsibility with the brick and mortar business. And also it's harder to drive the business because you're dealing with destination clients, as opposed to when you're in the retailers, the clients come in for other things, shoes, you know, housewares or whatever, and you can grab them. But when you're in a brick and mortar business, that's a destination point. So when you get the client in there, you really have to maximize the opportunity and experience and the sale with them to drive that business. The other thing I would think that might be different at a freestanding store like Bloomer is working with all of those vendors. All of those vendors. Yes. So ballpark for me, how many brands did did thirty? Ooh. And you ready for this? This is where it gets good. This is where you really have to learn. Every vendor has their own specific need from that business as a store manager. So when you're having all of these events at one time, NARS has a brow event, but La Mer, which is positioned right across the aisle from NARS, is launching a new eye cream. As a store manager, you want to tie it all in together. But when you're coming from the vendor, like NARS wants you to sell their eye cream, their brow. Lamere wants you to sell their eye cream. Being strategic and political with that is when it really gets fun because you want to satisfy and you want to keep everyone happy. But at the end of the day, it is business. It gets really cutthroat and politically, it's just crazy to drive that business because there's so many competing products. Everyone has the best eye cream. Everyone has the best eyeliners or red lip. How many vendors carry a red lip? So it's basically being strategic and smart about your decision and making informed decisions on how to drive the business and keep all the vendors happy because they have the conversations with your VPs and your SVPs. And you want to make sure that when they're speaking to that location or that business, that they're happy and everyone's satisfied. So that's the biggest challenge in being a business manager in the retail industry. Right. And at a place like Blue Mercury, the other thing is that you would have to know about every single product. You do. You have trainers. That's the best thing about, oh, the education department in cosmetics. The education in luxury cosmetics is phenomenal because you're constantly trained. You go to corporate trainings and they sometimes they come in store. A lot of times they come in store and they train you on the product. They gratis you the product and you take it home and you use it. So when your clients come in and they're looking for a great eye cream, you're given an informed, honest opinion of what makes it. But the key of what makes this eye cream great is sampling. So when you're sampling, I love this La Mer eye cream, but you may not. I had the conversation a couple of weeks ago with a girlfriend. I always saw Clay de Poe had amazing eye cream and skincare. She orders Clay de Poe and she didn't like it. Okay. She didn't like it. However, I think it's the best. So what this is where sampling comes in and it's like, I think it's the best, but you take it and then you come back if you love it. Okay. Since we're recording this during the pandemic, this COVID-19 situation, What's the importance of sampling going to be going forward? You have to do it. There's so much stuff on the internet. It is ridiculous. Okay, so let me sidebar. I'm not used to paying for cosmetics. And I cannot tell you how many days I've brought up a $140 eye cream and looked at the client like, all right, your total is $165 with tax and 14 cents. And look at them like, you know, will that be cash? Girl, when you have to pay for it, I was like, oh, my God. but I had to get it because I'm used to it. I'm used to, I'm like, did I really just pay $40 for that Pat McGrath lipstick? I did. I had to have it. I love it, hands down. But it's really tough. That transition for me was really hard. So I got a box. I ordered Dr. Sturm eye cream, which I love. And just so you know, I'm a junkie for products. I have a ton of stuff. And I got the box and there was no samples in it. 
So I said, well, this is not good. Like, but then when I got another box from another retailer, I had all of these samples in it. And I just remember thinking that particular retailer, you know, we're in a pandemic, you know, some of us have this extra income coming in and sample them. You miss an opportunity to make more money for your business. You know, so it's so important. When I was living in New York, I would go to some of my favorite hip hop events and take bags of samples from the retailer just to give to the women at the party. And with my business card, come back and see me. Like that's how important it is for me. Sampling is so important. They have to try it and the market is oversaturated. So it is very smart for any business to heavily sample. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. You've worked on makeup and skincare. Yes. Are there any differences in how you sell each. The most important thing is skincare. And you have to really listen to the client to figure out how much they're going to invest in their skincare and their makeup. So I think what the difference is, is that with skincare, they're loyal. They're more loyal to a great eye cream or a great moisturizer than they are to a red lipstick. So with skincare, the big difference is that's your money maker. Skincare is your money maker. That's what's going to keep the clients coming back because they can grab a mascara concealer from, you know, in the drugstore. So I think when you're selling skincare, you're focusing on the needs of the clients and you're listening to how much time the client is going to invest. You don't want to suggest that a client should purchase the whole regime if she's got four kids and she's got 10 minutes to do her whole face in the morning. Like you have to be smart and you have to listen to what their needs are and sell according to the needs of the client. And that's how you get your replenishment client. And that's how you get your most loyal clients because they understand that you're coming from a concern about what their needs are, as opposed to what LaMare told me to sell. And that can get tricky because you've got LaMare on the horn. You know, I'm used to 9 a.m. earnings calls. It's like, okay, Leslie at Saks, what happened to your business last week and how are we going to fix this by the end of the month? So you have to consider all of that when you're selling. And then we'd get off of those calls and then I'd go to my team and say, all right, everybody's getting LaMare. Like we're pushing LaMare eye creams today. But you have to learn how to really, really streamline that and be smart and strategic about it so you don't come across as overselling to the client because that turns them off and they won't come back. I think the biggest difference between selling skincare and makeup is that you have a more loyal client with skincare, more long-term. You mentioned kind of in passing the earning call. How often did that happen? Yeah, when you're a business manager for those luxury brands, every Monday morning you're on an earnings call with the SVP and they're going through all of the top accounts in the city and they're talking about events and they're giving you highlights of, you know, Macy's had this great brow event last week. You can pick up and get pointers to make your event, which is scheduled at the end of the month, better. But every Monday morning, yeah. So Sunday night, you're crunching numbers and you're straight because you have to be on it and know your business on that call. And it's a conference call, so everyone's listening in. You got to make sure that you're on it and know. So Sunday night um, is so reserved for me. I'm just used to strategizing and crunching numbers at home in front of the laptop and just planning and going into work on Monday morning. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to focus on for the week. And how important is merchandising? Extremely important. Merchandising and the real estate in the department. Um, really interesting story. 
from what I understand, so I was born in 68, I'm 52 years old. So what I understand, Bloomingdale's 59th Street, Estee Lauder and Fashion Fair were at the front of the store, 59th, uh, the Lexington Street entrance, right next to each other. That merchandising has to catch the eye of the customer that walks in the front door. So it has to be key, it has to be clean, it has to be current, and it has to be eye-catching. And that's probably some of your biggest stressors or challenges as a business manager because you have to keep your eye on everything. That merchandising, you can have someone walk into your store from corporate and see one product off kilter and you got a thread of emails like, you know, so it's extremely important because that's how you grab the client when they walk in the door. Merchandising is great. I was never good at it, which was great because I relied on my merchandising staff from corporate to come over and they just fixed everything and tidied it up. But it's so important. And if it's not, if you walk into a department or you walk into a freestanding store and you see dust on beauty products, nine times out of ten, you're not going to want to buy there. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So what is the unsung skill that you think you need to succeed in the beauty industry? Basically, the unsung skill is your ability to discipline the lens on the priorities when you have on a daily basis so many people coming at you for different things. So that's the unsung. You've got to understand what is the priority. You could have someone from the buying office that needs a count of lipsticks or foundations. Is that a priority right now? Or do I have to do this coaching and counseling session with my makeup artist because tomorrow she doesn't have her sales goal in? And that's the unsung skill that you need. You need to really understand the correct way and the productive way to discipline the lens on the priorities. Was your role part counselor? As you said, you just did coaching session. It was all counseling. It was counseling. It was counseling, which is great. I love that. I still remember hiring a makeup artist. She was a makeup artist for Girlon at the airport, at LaGuardia Airport. She had no experience in the city, and she'd been working for LaGuardia for like a year. So I had this full-time position, and the head of HR, the candidates just were not right. They, I just did not get a good hit from any of the resumes or any of the interviews. He comes down to my counter one day, and he's like, I know you have a position. I have this great girl who interviewed for another position in the department. He said, and we don't have anything for her, and I think she'd be great for you. Oh, are you kidding me? I call her my little lamb. Her name is Melissa Stewart. She's amazing. She came on board. I took her under my wing, and she and I still talk. She calls me like she was working for Dior. She wanted to switch to Chanel and she called me and said, this is what I want to do. What do you think? Those things warm my heart. They make me feel so good because that's what we're supposed to do. We're here. Yeah, it's nice to look pretty. It's nice to glam up and it's great to get free products, but we're in this business to nurture and to cultivate and develop talent to continue in the industry and to keep the industry going and create growth and profit. So it's really instrumental when you're hiring the right people. And I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing talents in the retail sector of it. And it's so funny because everyone wants to be a celebrity makeup artist, but I'm a huge advocate for the retail end of it. I'm not a big fan of celebrities <laughs> anyway, but I just think that the talent that I worked with behind the counter, uh, particularly the national artists for like Dior and for La Mer, when they would come in and they would bring tips, you know, from corporate or from their travels, it was just great. I was just fortunate to work. So definitely counseling and coaching and mentoring and developing is the most important part. Keeping along with that, you're obviously assembling a team, right? What do you look for in top talent? What was it about Melissa, for example, that made you say she's the one, although she didn't have experience in the retail environment in Manhattan, she had experience. So what made you 
bet on her. Number one, Corinne, passion. You can feel energy and passion. Her skill set as a seller, because it's the airport, you don't clientele, you know, at the airport. She was not confident in clientele, and I would coach with her. And before you knew it, she was my number one book. Like, she could get the clients in there to replenish, but it was her passion and her desire and her work ethic. The thing that I listen for is the energy. I ask all the time, what do you love about this business? And you listen to that, what that answer is, and that helps you understand who is good and to acknowledge who's going to work for you and your business the best in order to get those final. And so passion, number one, your energy, your knowledge of the industry. How much do you know? What do you bring to the table based off of your experiences? So if you don't have a lot of experience working retail management, if you're passionate and you're open and you got a great work ethic, you'll learn it. And that's probably the best bet for you. For me, it has been for me anyway. When do you know when it's time to leave and try something new? When you're no longer growing. It was my biggest challenge working in the city, in New York. You know it's time to leave when you're not being fed. For me, if I'm not being fed and I'm not developed as a business manager, if my account executive is not developing me and I'm not growing, it's time to go. It's time to move on to other pastures, I should say. So that's definitely, yeah. And you're moving on to new things and you're looking at new avenues yourself. So what next for yourself? Definitely, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur in this industry. That was the reason that I got into the retail sector because I needed to learn the business. Working corporately with Estee Lauder was just amazing. Like, and so- Right now, it's definitely entrepreneurship. Retail was the step in that direction. So ever since I was 20 years old, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur in this industry. And that's the next step. So I'm working on projects right now. It's tough for me, Corinne, because I don't have that corporate backing. So when you have a marketing team and merchandising department, they're giving you the directive. So all you have to do is just make it happen. But when you're out doing it on your own, it's really tough. When you don't have that expectation from the company and your work ethic, it's a nightmare. So that's what I've been dealing with for the past year, not having that structure from the corporate sector and segueing into entrepreneurship is so tough. I say this all the time. If I learned from the best, anything that I put out has to be the best. It has to be better than that, actually, for me. I'm an Aries. What can I say? Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. So it's not about just putting out a product to saying I like this. It's about the right product and the right connections and most importantly, the right money. How about that? Yes, yes, yes. Especially if you're coming from the business manager and operations point of view, the financial footing and the foundation needs to be set correctly. Absolutely. And that's where I am with it right now. That's great. I want to take the industry back to, I hate to say old school, but it was the best school. Like, I want to take it back to servicing the customer, servicing the client. I am here to give you what you need. Funny story, I never liked the videos that the girls are doing, you know, that you see. They make me crazy. And the only reason, don't get me wrong, the talent is there. But... The reason I say I'm not a makeup artist is because I've been putting makeup on this same face for 40 years, for almost 40 years, for a long time. How I do my makeup does not determine how I'm going to do Corinne's makeup or if I'm going to make her makeup. This is why you have to establish you're a makeup artist, you're not. If your best makeup is on yourself, you're not a makeup artist. You do your makeup correctly. 
So I want to take the industry back to the basics, which is servicing the clients, having the best products and making sure that they are happy. It's not about me. I didn't get into the industry to wear pretty makeup. I like it when people compliment my makeup. But when I'm cultivating and nurturing talent, I broke a record for Dior at Saks. It was fantastic because I hit a $25,000 day. That was the biggest volume in the history. I think Dior and Saks partnered in the 70s. And that was my first year as a business manager for Dior Tax. Every year, they would give me the goal, which was a 20% increase over last year, but I would go myself at 30%. So I would strategize and initiate sales goal based off of that 30%. But I always made sure that every year that I was a business manager, I increased my own record. So if I broke the record and did 24 years, I'm going to do 26. I'm going to do 28. And that's what I did for four years. You got to love it. And I loved every every bit of it. It was a lot of stress though. You have no idea. I'm stressed like listening to it. I'm, <laughs> I'm stressed listening to the earnings calls because I'm coming from a creative side. So I'm like earnings calls. Oh yeah. Like that's yeah. not my thing. So yeah, I'm stressed <laughs> listening to that. So I can only imagine that if you set a record and then you set out to break your own record time and time again, that's some serious business right there. Although you got to be passionate, not only about beauty, but you got to be passionate about the financial part of it, the Excel sheets, the forecasting, inventory, the little things that you have to be passionate about as well, because if you don't have the product, as you said earlier, then nothing's going to happen. Exactly. And you know what's really interesting about that is that the industry standard is that when you go for the month, it's $100,000. Those returns come out of that $100,000. So you have to make sure that when you're selling to clients, that you're giving them a product that they love, because that's going to hurt your bottom line. That's what I mean when I say strategizing and making sure that you uh, understand client service and managing your inventory correctly, because that at the end of the month, if you purchase the eye cream, the serum, and the moisturizer for La Mer. That's a $1,300 sale. And worth every penny, let it be known. <laughs> worth every penny was one of the perks of working for those companies, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> worth every penny, but you have to make sure that you're selling to the clients because you're so excited to see them leave. They spent $1,500 at your counter. To have that $1,500 come back on the 31st of the month, it's so tough. So you have to make sure that you're selling correctly with integrity. Yeah, that is key. That is definitely yeah. key. Yeah, yeah. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What's the very first beauty product you ever remember purchasing? So my mother purchased it. <laughs> It was so funny. My mom and her best friend were shoppers, Corinne. Like these women would go to the mall, but the mall would open at 10 and they were literally the last clients leaving at the end of that night. But that's how they shop. So they would buy their fashion fair. Like they'd go to Miller and Rhodes or Ivy's and buy their clothes and they'd stop by the fashion fair counter and they'd buy all of this makeup. Because you know, we got, you know how we Southern girls are. I have to have the whole look. So I would always use my mother's makeup and she would fuss at me because she's like, this is expensive and you don't play and you're 15 years old, you can't wear makeup. You know, I would sneak and use it. So one day we were in the kitchen and she was saying, well, you know, I think it's time we start taking care of your skin. In my 15 year old mind, I heard, I'm going to take you to the fashion fair counter and buy you some rum raisin. <laughs> That's what I heard. So I'm excited all week. I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to get my stuff. And we go into, it was either Ivy's and Miller and Rose in Four Seasons Mall in Greensboro, North Carolina. And she passes the fashion fair counter and goes straight to 
Clinique. <laughs> Clinique. Now, you know the difference, the vast difference. Like, at the fact there's pink and there's glamour, and Clinique is clean and streamlined. And I was like, wait a minute, what is this? This is not what I thought. This is... So my mom was like, no, we're going to get you skincare. Like, she, you know, she doesn't want to go off on me. She's like, this is what we're So we're sitting there and I'm kind of frustrated because that's what I want. I didn't want soap in that computer. Remember that face? Yes, absolutely. I was sitting there the whole thing and my mother noticed my attitude. And when the lady walked away, she looked at me and said, we're going to get this. You're going to fix your face. We're going to get this. Or I'm going to keep my money. We're going home. So I was like, okay, we can get that. <laughs> <laughs> so you start plotting in your head. Yes. And it's so interesting because I was a lot heartbroken because I had already picked out my nail color and the blush and the lipstick that was going to match, according to the ad in the Ebony magazine, though. When I got home and opened up that soap and that clarifying lotion, I still love clarifying lotion so much because it's a really, really, really good toner. But I was just so excited and I was really, really loyal to it. So once I gave it a chance, I really, really loved having my little three-piece Clinique, that dramatically different moisturizer than the soap and the top. I loved it. It was great. So that was my first product. But I initially thought it was going to be fashion fair, but it wasn't. But I still loved it. How much later did you actually get your fashion fair product? Yeah, I was in college. Yeah, definitely in college. I was excited to buy it, too. And literally just bought one lipstick. I could still smell that lipstick now. I literally bought a lipstick, but I was so excited to get it. Yeah, I was in college. What's the latest beauty product that you've tried? Working for Laura Mercier was just an amazing experience, but I was never a fan of primers. I've never been, I've worn foundation since whenever I can remember. I never got primers. And I recently purchased Il Maquillage, a primer, and I just absolutely love it. And I love the way my foundation looks when I wear it. Being in the industry for 25 years, you think primers were no, but I just, I strayed away from them. I just felt like it was an extra step. But now the, that primer is just amazing. I love it, you know. So right now the biggest product that I'm discovering that I love are the primers. And also, until I worked for La Mer, I wasn't a huge fan of serums. I didn't understand the importance of serums in your skincare regime. But yeah, the primer and the serums are definitely my latest and greatest. What's the best beauty advice you either live by or leave alone? That I leave alone? Um, you know what I'm not a fan of? The baking, that whole thing with the baking under the eye. I think that's just a trend or something that looks great on Instagram. I don't see the purpose of it, so I stray away from that. I just don't understand the concept of it. The best advice to go by is definitely what I learned at that clinic counter, the importance of cleaning your skin and cleansing your skin and taking care, hydrating your skin and moisturizing. That's definitely a go by. What's the best career advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? The best career advice was from my account executive for YSL on the importance of learning from your mistakes and applying what you've learned from your mistakes and preventing them in the future. That was definitely the most important. It's like we become emotional when we make mistakes and we tend to beat up on ourselves. Don't beat up on yourself so much. Learn from it, fix it, and move on from it. So that was definitely from my account executive. She jokes, she's so funny because she's retired and she's golfing in Florida and she always jokes that she hired me off the bus. She literally did when I moved from New D.C. to New York. So I hired that girl off the bus. And it's always so funny. We always have a break. But that's definitely the best advice. <laughs> She's amazing. Are you a mentor or a mentee? Both. 
I'm always looking for advice. I'm always looking to learn and to grow. I'm definitely a mentor, being the oldest of five, being an Aries. I like to coach and develop. I like to see you do well. If you're working with me and you do great, I look good. So, hey, mentoring is so key, but you have to be careful about who you're mentoring to because the passion and the genuine love of it has to be there. But I'm both. I'm a mentee for sure. I wish I could sit down and have conversations with Eunice Johnson. Are you kidding right now? Like, I would love to just sit down for five minutes. What can I learn from you? So I'm always looking to learn. So I definitely am both. What's the best path to promotion, in your opinion? Your mentor in the industry, it's so important. If I could give you any advice coming into this industry, get a mentor that has a track record for success and a genuine interest and drive. You have to have someone, a model that you're striving to be, be it better or on the same level. So getting the mentor is key because you need them to be promoted. You need someone to attest to you. You know, they look at numbers and they don't lie. It's obvious it's right there, but you need someone to cultivate and develop you. So getting a mentor is the most important thing. What would you say the best interview prep tip you could offer is? Watch a documentary on your favorite person in the business, whether you're in technology, beauty, fashion. If you listen to the success of the people who you admire and you listen to their trials and their tribulations, their successes, that inspires you to go into that interview and put your 100% forward and really, really impress. But you have to listen to someone. So as you're getting dressed and getting ready for it, listen to interviews on YouTube of your favorite people in the industry. And I think that's a great interview prep tip. And part of that, I got to say, you have to know who those people are. You have to have some favorite people. It's not only knowing, it's lovely to know who to follow on Instagram, but you got to know who came before them. Exactly. They're more inspirational to me than anybody I see on, with, with the exception of Pat McGrath. Okay, so can we just have a moment? <laughs> have a moment with Pat. <laughs> now they're on the Pat, because Pat McGrath is is just uh, an uh, amazing person. But those people, the Helena Rubensteins, the Elizabeth Arden, the Madam C.J. Walkers, they inspire me more than anybody I see on Instagram based off of their experience and what they had to go to to become successful. And I have Yves Saint Laurent's biography, picking up at my mom's Essence magazine or Vogue and seeing Yves Saint Laurent with Iman and all of those amazing models as the showstoppers, like stuff like that inspires me. So if I'm interviewing for Yves Saint Laurent, the few days prior to the interview, I'm studying all things Yves Saint Laurent. And then when I can go in and I feel more comfortable and confident in the interviewing process. Oh, perfect. This summer, a lot of people aren't able to probably intern at the company of their dreams, right? What advice would you offer? What could they do this summer to still stay on the path to that dream job? That dream job is to stay informed with the podcasts like this one, what's going on in the industry, you know, stay adroit and on top of all of the press, um, all of the media, all of the new revelations. Like I did some research a while ago and I found out that uh, Mac was the number one luxury brand in the United States for 2019. Understanding that stuff and you got to stay on with that since we're not having the camps, you have to take a step further and just go get the information as opposed to the information coming 
you. So stay in the loop with Women's Wear Daily, your favorite podcast. This is great, actually. Being able to just clean your bedroom and listen to a podcast and get, that's actually really good. So in light of everything that's going on, we still have great opportunities. So definitely with your podcasts and your media and the companies and understanding the trends of the industry. Final question. What do you think makes a candidate memorable? Their enthusiasm and their passion and their dedication to service. You know, we're there to sell. We all want to get the commission and all that. But their dedication to service and their passion and their industry and energy definitely makes them memorable for me. I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing these stories and and your inspiration and, you know, just kind of like the nuts and bolts of business operations for a beauty brand, because I'm not really familiar with how that works. And I don't think many of our listeners would be familiar with that. But if you, for example, get your start at a counter, which many people in beauty do, this is a path that you can follow. Yes, it's a great path. And there's a lot of opportunities in the corporate towers. People don't get it. Like there's so many opportunities for you, be it in creativity or operations or whatever, but you follow that. But the most important thing is get you a mentor when you go in. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you heard it this here is first. so great, Corinne. You have no idea. I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about it forever. This is my favorite topic. So this was so much fun. I think that your passion also is contagious. It will help if you're interested in beauty. This kind of conversation will just spur you on to you know do your research and know more and knowing that stuff and relating how a look from the past is related to a look now. Like all of that, you become kind of a walking expert. Right. <laughs> You're not even in the industry yet. I mean, so it's really, really important. Right. Once again, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I hope we can do this again. Oh, we will. We will. Definitely. About other things that are happening in my life, because I'm very excited. I'm really excited about my future in beauty. I really am. I love everything that's going on right now with Instagram and the internet and e-commerce versus brick and mortar. I'm just, I love all of it. So we can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks again. Thank you. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top and the most important step is the first one. So start right here.